So the title of my sermon this morning, and this is me talking as a physician, I see problems, I see health problems, and I give a prescription and urge the patients to follow. Therefore, this prescription this morning that I suggest, the title is a prescription to being afraid. I think one of the most appropriate stories to tell uh, comes from the book of Mark. And we'll go directly there. I ask all of you who are, uh, have your Bibles to open it to Mark chapter 4 verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And I'll be reading from the um, uh, New International Version. I'll read it, and then we'll go back and, and, do some, and ask some questions. The Bible reads, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, if you read uh, Mark 4, uh, Jesus' custom was to speak uh, and teach people. Um, at this time, he was speaking in the Sea of Galilee. Um, if you uh, read um, in the beginning of Mark 4, um, in fact, uh, just to set the scenery, um, I'll read this. It says on Mark 4, 1, Mark 4, verse 1, On another occasion, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So he was creating a barrier between him and the large crowd, otherwise he would be crushed. The disciples, I can imagine, were pushing back at the cross, but there was just so many. And so he made himself a pulpit in a boat. Besides talking that day, um, if you read, Jesus was also doing other things. He was healing. He was comforting. He was doing a lot of things. So I can imagine, at the end of the day, Just like me, I'm putting in 14-hour days. I'm exhausted at the end of the day. All I want to do is get away. So there he is. He said, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd, in verse 36, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. A storm The Sea of Galilee is famous for sudden change of weather, unpredictable, and the storms can be quite treacherous and threatening. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamp. I can see the disciples, a dozen of them, probably using some sort of bail and trying to bail the water out. But if you're in a small boat and the waves are 10 feet, 15 feet tall, um, 
It's almost impossible to get all the water out. And now you're starting to sink. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Can you imagine being so tired that you're sleeping? I, 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 I slept through once uh, uh, an earthquake. Uh, I think it was back in the early 90s um, where... Um, my dad told me, well, it was a 7.2 earthquake. It shook the house for nearly 45 seconds. And my brothers and I were all sleeping. <laughs> you imagine? You're so tired that nothing bothered you. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is, um, to me, an appropriate story for our time. Um, you know, just going through the internet, you type in, what are people most afraid of? I've got lists here. I've got many lists. You know what the number one fear of Americans is? Well, before the COVID-19, the number one fear, believe it or not, is uh, public speaking. That's the number one fear. Uh, below that, uh, fear of heights, fear of drowning. Number five, fear of death. Other things that are in the list, at a bigger picture, uh, some people are, uh, many people are afraid of a corrupt government. They're afraid of a terrorist attack, not having enough money, pollution. They are afraid of their health, or they are afraid of people that they know, people that they love, of dying from illness. People afraid of natural disasters. People afraid of medical bills. Does this sound familiar? We all have our fears personally, as a church, as a community, as a country, we all have those fears. We're all afraid. The thing about this story, is that 
when we are afraid, when the disciples are afraid, we turn to something. They turn to somebody. They turn to Jesus. We do that. It's common for us when we're in an adverse position. We whisper, Jesus, God, save us. It's not different for the disciples. They were about to drown and die. In verse uh, 38, there was a desperate cry, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I mean, it's not any different than our response. We pray and no answer. Quiet. Does God, is God, is he asleep? Is he not listening? Does he not care? It's curious that in our day and age, we don't have the physical presence of Jesus right by us. The disciples had. In fact, I, w I would submit to you when Jesus said, Do you still have no faith? They had some faith. They were asking Jesus to save them. And why did Jesus say, why are you afraid? Isn't that a natural human response? I mean, there is a purpose to fear, right? When we're afraid, I mean... Uh, physiologically, right, what we do, we, we start to sweat, our heart rate increases, our, our pupils dilate, our airways, they dilate so that we can breathe better, okay? The brain's attention is heightened, accelerated. The body changes mode when we're afraid to this fight or flight response. Some people, the response to fear is to freeze and not do anything. Some people run away. Now, I'm not just talking about pain here. I'm talking about emotional pain. I'm talking about psychological pain. I'm talking about social pain. Fear, the natural response of fear or being afraid, increases our chance of survival. Makes us be aware, makes us avoid things. Makes us run away from things, fight things if we don't have a choice. But for the disciples, nothing like the threat of death hones the human's attention span. And there's just one single thought in their mind. Survive. And what came into their mind is they look to Jesus. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
Now, if you look at um, Matthew 8, which is the parallel story, and then I'll go to Luke 8, also the parallel, this, the same story, um, the three different Gospels kind of um, uh, tells the words a little bit different, but I, I think if we go through the, the two different stories, we get kind of a picture of what is happening. In, in, in Matthew, uh, it's in 8, verse 25, the, uh, it, re it reads, The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And then Jesus replied, when he finally calms down the waves and the wind, he said, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? It's a little different. In Mark it says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In Luke it says, the disciples, verse 24, uh, Luke 8, verse 24, the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Jesus responds, where is your faith? Now, It seems to me that when Jesus asks, why are you so afraid? It seems like it's some, uh, kind of a rhetorical question. It's like when, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, God said, why are you hiding from me? Well, God knows where they're hiding. Jesus knows they're afraid. But why is he asking the question? Why is he equating being afraid to either little faith or no faith or lost faith. Now, it's a curious question, especially Mark. Uh, it says, do you still have no faith still? And the reason why, why Jesus, uh, I think I like Mark's version of this story is because I, I listed here a summary of what happens before Mark 4. And in Matthew, the 8th, chapters before that, in Luke, the eight chapters before that. Let me just list to you what Jesus was doing. Uh, see, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus. The Father's voice was heard saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Then, later in the, cha the, the chapter in Mark 1, he recruits the disciples. He just tells them, come, follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. They just followed. Then Jesus was teaching, in, uh, was teaching in the synagogue, teaching as one who had authority. The people were so amazed. The disciples were front row and centered. Jesus identified the demons um, by the demons when he healed one of the men. The demon answered, the Holy One of God. Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. Simon is Peter. And he heals the mother-in-law from illness, from a sickness. Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Mark 2. Jesus, Jesus healed a paralyzed man. They dropped him. His four friends dropped him through an opening in the roof. His very words where he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, as you know, as the story, heard that. And we're asking, how can a man forgive sin? 
Jesus claims he was the son of God. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. It's not healthy who need a doctor, he said, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then his famous words about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Mark 3, Jesus heals a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. In fact, in many stories before the crossing of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus healed many impure spirits. When they saw Jesus, they, they say, you are the Son of God. He even gave authority to the 12 disciples to preach and to drive out demons. So he asked this question when they were, quote, dying on the boat, about to drown, about to be overwhelmed. Do you still have no faith? They've witnessed miracles after miracles, the display of the power of Jesus. They saw Jesus sleeping while the storm and the response was being afraid, terrified that they will die. Do you still have no faith? I mean, in, in our in our Seventh-day Adventist world, we are past all this history. We know our history. We went through Genesis. We know the New Testament. We know that Jesus died. He's resurrected. He's gone to heaven. He's preparing a place for you. He's promised to return. We know the stories of, the, 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 of Peter and Paul and James we know the history of the Dark Ages, the Enlightenment, the Reformation. We have all this history. We have the voice of prophecy explaining the great controversy. We know the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. We are at the end. And yet, we are still afraid. And Jesus is asking the question, do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? I would submit to you that this generation should be the most faithful of all the generations. But alas, in our generation, I can text somebody on the other side of the world and have an instant reply in about 15 seconds or less. We can fly with jet power and literally cross the globe in about 24 hours. We have manipulated the gene that we can get therapies, monoclonal antibodies. We have manipulated the atom that we can get energy made weapons that can des destroy the world a hundred times over. We have artificial intelligence. We have so much technology. 
that when we look back in history, there's a lingering question in the back of our minds. Is Jesus real? Is God real? Is faith useless now? Jesus said, where is your faith? Jesus said, you of little faith. So, I was thinking about these questions. Then I came up with a suggested prescription. As a physician, you know, I write prescriptions all the time. In fact, you know, in this country, just this country alone, we, uh, physicians and other healthcare provided, uh, they give about four billion prescriptions a year. It's a mind-boggling number. Let me just go over what a prescription is and what it is not. A prescription has seven elements. Number one, when a prescription is given, there's a, prescribe, there, the, there's a prescriber information in it. Usually there's a name, there's usually an office address and contact information. That's number one. Number two, the prescription should have the patient's information. It should have their name, usually their date of birth, and the date of the prescription. Then, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of prescription, whether in paper or electronically, they, there's, a, there's a, a symbol that says RX. That stands for recipe. It tells you the name of the medication, its dosage, and what the form of that dosage is. Then below that is, there's a little um, three-letter word that says SIG, short for Signatura. It's instructions on how to take the medication. And then below that, there's dispensing instructions for the pharmacist. It tells that, that, uh, that pharmacist how much medication the patient needs and what form it is to be released. Then below that, there's a number of refills. So if it's for six months, there should be, most prescription lasts for 30 days, you need six refills, all right? And then finally, at the bottom, usually to the right uh, hand of the prescription form, there's a prescriber's signature. Usually, uh, the, the, uh, the state license, in my case, the California state license number, and um, in some uh, states, they require the national provider identifier. And if it's a controlled substance, like for example, some pain medication, uh, you need the drug enfor enforcement agency number. The government keeps track of release of controlled substance. So that's, that's essentially seven elements of a prescription. But for us Christians, the illness that I'm trying to describe is fear, being afraid. Normally, the natural response of human being 
is to do something. It makes you take action, either to fight or flight or freeze. We do something about it. But for a Christian, it's quite different. For you see, the prescription that I'm suggesting, the prescriber's information doesn't come from me. It comes from God. You see, if we go through the elements of a prescription, the prescriber's information, the first element of that prescription, the prescriber is Jesus, Son of God, Savior, Lamb of God, Redeemer. He has many other names. For the purpose of our prescription, Jesus is referred to as the physician in Mark 2.17, just two chapters uh, before uh, Mark 4, Mark 2.17, the Bible reads, on hearing this, by the way, the reason why on hearing this is because before that, the Pharisees were criticizing why Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus claimed to be the physicians of sinners, of the unrighteous. And that's why he came to earth to save. That's the prescriber's information. The patient's information you can fill in the blank. It's all of us. You can put your name on the prescription. It could be one person. It could be the church as a whole. It could be the community. It can be the country. It can be the world. The recipe. On our story, Jesus equates being afraid to lack of faith or lost faith or no faith. Therefore, the recipe for the medication is simple. Faith. What is faith? Well, there's, there's in, in this story, right, there, there is a difference between no faith, and a little faith, right? So if I go back and ask the questions, right? So in Matthew, Jesus says, you of little faith. In, in Luke 8, verse 25, he said, where is your faith? You've lost it. In Mark, it says, do you still have no faith? faith? We're, well, there's some faith there, right? The disciple said, Master, save us. Teacher, don't you care that we're drowning? By the, way, by the way, does Jesus not care? Does God not care? Let me read to you a verse. Actually, several verses. Let me read Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. 
Jeremiah 29, verse 11. The Bible reads, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Do you think that that's the God that does not care? Uh, we can go to Matthew 6. This is the, the chapter after the Beatitudes. The, the, the people, the disciples, were. Uh, Jesus was explaining that our treasures is where our heart is. And he starts with, in verse 25, Matthew 6, verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. I believe that we are more valuable to God than anything in this world. The price that God paid to save us was his life. The life of Jesus, his son. So I don't believe when we pray and there's no answer, not listening, or God is asleep, or God is ignoring us, or God is completely unaware of what's going on in our lives. How little is little faith? In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said this, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, and you know how small a mustard seed is? Very tiny. You can say to this mountains, move from here to here, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. No faith to little faith, nothing is impossible. So the name of the medication is faith. We start with small amounts. 
It takes time to grow. What is faith? Faith, according to Hebrews, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Can faith be reproduced? No. The results of faith varies from one person to the next, you see. It's not the scientific method where you can conduct an experiment, the same experiment time and time again, and you'll have the same results. This is our thinking of our world. If we cannot prove something, if we cannot see it, if we cannot observe it, if we cannot touch it, or even if we can't infer the results, it must not exist. This is the background of our faith today. We live in a world that does not believe that God exists. And it's not just the non-Christian world I'm talking about. It's all of us. The name of the medication is faith. And all we have to start with is a small one. Jesus always say, lay down your burdens towards me. Have faith. And you know, if we don't have faith, when he responds to our prayers and our exaltations, calling for him to help us, guess what? He answers. And then our faith becomes a little stronger. Then the next problem, bigger than before. And slowly, as we dwell on the words of Jesus, his character, we pray, we experience life, he prospers us, and then we look back and say, yes, my faith is stronger today than before. You see, it needs time. I always say that some patients, I don't have anything to contribute today, but you need a tincture of time. You see, but faith is such a thing. You need time. You need to develop that relationship with Jesus. The signatura. How we do accomplish this? Study Jesus. We have so much information about Jesus today. We have the Bible. We have the voice of prophecy. There's probably tens of millions of books there about Jesus. The Old Testament starts with prophesying his coming to earth, his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his second coming. The New Testament tells of his life, his ministry, his death and sacrifice, his resurrection, and his promise to come back. Faith is developed through that relationship. Pray, and pray often. Pray in the present. One of the hardest things we can do with faith, I myself am having a problem with this, is to submit to those instructions, isn't it? Overcoming ourselves is probably the hardest thing we can do. It is our natural tendency that we're trying to overcome. And unfortunately, fear, being afraid, is hardwired into the brain. It's our programming. It's how we react. 
But I challenge you, when adverse things come into life, just whisper to yourself, have a little faith. The dispensing instruction of this prescription, the Holy Spirit is the pharmacist. See, in John 14, 16, and 17, Jesus was about to leave. His famous promises said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be with you. Jesus didn't leave us with nobody to turn to. We have the Holy Spirit. We pray for the Holy Spirit. The more we study the Bible, the more we know of Jesus, his character grows in us. The Holy Spirit becomes part of our conscience. When it tells you, hey, that's the wrong thing to do, listen. The little small voices. The number of refills for this prescription, it's unlimited. There's no time expiration. In fact, it's forever. The signature at the bottom. In Ephesians 2.10, from the New International Version, it says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance to do us. In Psalm 139.14, it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The signature is the creator. He created us. And his prescription is to have faith. Let me have our singer sing a song. Listen to the words carefully. It's a children's song. I used to sing this in camp. The words are actually from Psalm. If you open your Bibles, in Psalm 56, verse 3, before this verse was spoken, the background of this story is that David, the psalmist, was running away from his enemies, and they're closing in on him. He was at the knife's edge. So then, this song.
when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Whatever that fear is, whatever you're afraid of, health, finance, relationships, physical pain, illnesses, shame, whatever it is. The Christian's response. My suggestion, God's prescription. I will put my trust in you. To close this, I, I, I will ask the question. In Mark 4, verse 41, after Jesus calmed the storm and stilled the waves and quieted the winds, after he asked the question, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples' response was, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, they were expecting to be saved, maybe by not drowning, maybe making the boat float. They did not expect Jesus to order the storm and the waves to stop. Here's my question. When we pray, when we ask God's help, when we plead with him, in our adverse conditions, will our response be that we are terrified because God moved heaven and earth to answer our prayers? Are we prepared to hear, to witness what God can do to that simple prayer? Let us pray. Father in heaven, in our current world, in our current state, our faith is being tested. This world has many wonderful things. The human mind and human reasoning has overcome many things, many problems, conquered illnesses. It's hard to stay faithful to you, but we pray and we claim that promise that Jesus will send the advocate, an advocate, the Holy Spirit. Help us Plant that seed, that mustard seed of faith in each and every one of our hearts so that doubt will slowly go away. Grow that faith. Keep us faithful. And we look forward to when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven. I pray and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See you all next week. And hopefully we will have our outdoor church in a couple of weeks, and we look forward to that.